0: Welcome to Creating Dangerously. Our name is taken from the Albert Camus 1957 lecture, Create Dangerously, where he said, To create today is to create dangerously. Any publication is an act, and that act exposes one to the passion of an age that forgives nothing. In Creating Dangerously, we look back at those who have created dangerously to those who continue to do so today in an age that still forgives nothing. I'm your host, Skip Shea. So let's create dangerously. Welcome you guys. We're here to uh do the the what everyone else does now, the end of the year lists. I'm not sure if this is like a best of or just critics' choice. Are we critics? Do we call ourselves critics now because of
1: this? I think legally we have to okay um, legally (laughs) we have a podcast now we're yeah authorities we are
0: are. so yes we i've heard it's
2: they're thinking about making a new geneva convention about it
0: Uh yeah do i we need one Um, (laughs) and we need literate people to be able to read it read the you know Mm -hmm. what the whatever it is the rules of engagement um which this whenever people do lists it is often you need rules of engagement. Because as subjective as lists are, people seem to freak out when they're whatever it is that they
1: love doesn't make it. So we're, yeah, and we're, I do want to mention, too, that we're not quite as we're recording this. We're not quite at the end of 2023. Sorry that spoil the illusion for everyone. So there's a lot of of uh, films that may be among the best that I just haven't seen yet. There was something like coming out.
0: In the next, yeah,
1: something, or it's currently out in theaters and I haven't seen it. So I, I haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon yet. I haven't seen The Holdovers. But um,
0: you, you don't have a day to give up to see that movie? It's like, <laughs> have, have you me- seen it? No.
2: <laughs> no.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Three and a half hours. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm old. Uh-huh. I'll be sleeping. You know, I'm in a recliner and I, you know, forget yeah. it um
2: (laughs) you gotta go see that one at like the brattle and sit and sit in one of the uh balcony seats yeah with
0: with no intermissions because i guess they 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 actually put the clamp down on the uk when they added an intermission to this because clearly no one everyone can hold
2: it for three and a half hours (laughs) that sounds like a you problem martin scorsese that you can't do a movie that has an intermission how many times did they do that During musicals in the 40s and 50s. I mean, Lawrence of Arabia, which I love, Mm -hmm. it's
0: like in my top, you know, five of all time has an intermission because even something as sweeping and gorgeous as that knows you got to pee or (laughs) you might want to go get another drink. Um, I can't believe the theaters are saying, you know, okay, well, no one can come to our concessions for that moment because um, they're actually conceding their concessions. Um to to a three and a half hour movie. And I'm sure it's good. You know, whatever. I mean, I'm here I am crapping on it for being. I just think we need short movies. And this is yeah. this is like running the festivals and, and you get 40 minute shorts. Like <laughs> s- mm-hmm. you know, stop that too. <laughs> just stop that. Um to make a, a short. You know what short means? You know, make it make it feel like that. Um, and you know, feature lengths. I, I I'm I'm hoping there's a rebellion in the future of like just 70 minute features, just a bunch of them just coming out. That's it. You know, this is, this is, this is what I have to say. And here it is. Good. I'm gone. You know, (laughs) thank you very much. Um, I'll take my Oscar now. Um, (laughs) For best shortest feature. Um, We we need to do that anyway. So um, uh, with all this movie talk, I'm, I'm, we're going to do, I'm gonna do um books. Andrea's gonna do songs and Patrick's gonna do the movies so um we we drew straws um and we're gonna go with books first um so all of you literate people can just tune out after this because <laughs> you you you're you know a little snobby
1: um and I'm saying this and I read skip. Books. Yes. Do you actually read books? Do you listen to audiobooks? Do you read it on a Kindle? No, but...
0: no I I I read them. I I read them. Hmm. That's like the best title ever. Um Is and that I, and on it's on, it's, a, it's on my list, so I'll just start with it. So okay. I started with uh Ver, Werner Herzog's uh memoir, every man for himself and God against and god against all. Um <laughs> You have to. You read. You read this in his voice. Um, yeah, you'd have to, which is so incredible. And um, and I know uh, when discussing his documentaries, he talks about ecstatic truth, that there's a difference between uh, facts and truth. And his example of that is the uh, Michelangelo um, statue of you know Mary holding Jesus and he said when michelangelo made that he said jesus is a 33 year old man but mary is 17 this the model for mary is 17 so he's telling a a greater truth here uh in this so he's yes the pieta um he's thank you andrea for the notes um (laughs) he's um so he even does his documentaries that way meaning maybe maybe there aren't facts in there um so i i looked at his memoir that way like and and i'm just going to read an excerpt because this is at the beginning he's grew up in a very poor bavarian town just at the end of world war ii his father um uh who abandoned them was a nazi and was very angry that they lost the war for the rest of his life so that that's part of his you know dirt poor upbringing so he didn't even see his first movie till I think he was like 11 and it was just like a, a travel movie that was projected on a sheet in this town. Um, so he was fishing at the age of 17. Uh, and at one point he, because there's no light pollution, he's out on the water and, and he can't, it's, you can't differentiate the horizon. He just could see it was like stars everywhere. So he said, I was certain that there and then I knew all there was to know. My fate had been revealed to me, and I knew that after one such night, it would be impossible for me to ever get any older. I was completely convinced I would never see my 18th birthday because lit me up by such grace as I was now. There could never be anything like ordinary time (laughs) for me again. So did he really remember that from when he was 17? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know um and that's how the book begins so take it with that and 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 you know read about his his filmmaking career read about his friends read, read about his obsessions with weird things and it's just a blast it's one of the most fun books i've ever read because i get to also have that voice in my head um i i i was once gifted those um master class things um, you know, oh, yeah. like like for directors or whatever. And and I took his mm-hmm. and um and he talked about storyboarding. And he said storyboards are for cowards.
2: <laughs> he gets it, thank God. <laughs> I sighed
0: when he said that. Um it, it, <laughs> it, it was it it was incredible.
2: Um, um I just want to say I've never made a storyboard in my life, so it's good to know that I've been doing things the Werner Herzog way since <laughs> college.
0: I, I have to confess I have storyboarded on on two occasions. Coward. On to, I am. <laughs> um I'm going to lump some I, I have five, two of these together. I picked Victoria Bateman's Naked Feminism Breaking the Culture of Female Modesty. I don't know if you're familiar with Virginia Bateman, but she's no. she's an activist in the UK. And she'll go to public lectures. Or she went to the Royal Economic Society Gala. She's been on TV shows. And as she says, she, she wears nothing but her shoes and a smile. And she brings a purse. So she's naked everywhere. And because she's doing that, one of the biggest crowds that is condemning her are feminists. And she, so she's trying to crash uh, feminine modesty because she believes that's a barrier to full equality um, because of how we judge women just by the way they dress. And and she even, you know, she does it, the book's funny in a lot of ways, but it's also very pointed because, you know, you you still get onto, um, you know, other parts of, and we can talk about how we treat women in their bodies in this country right now. Um, So, you know, I, I think that she's onto something and I, and I, I know she's onto something. And, and I, she talks about um, women who work in, in the sex industry and how they're viewed. Um, and, and I know people who work in women who work in the sex industry and that they're, they're like the most hardcore feminists I've ever met. Um, and, and I don't think people understand that, but uh, you know, freedom and equality um, is greater than, than, we we still hold women to a certain standard um you, you know judging them by their looks and how, and how they dress more so than men i i think um at um, adam driver was just finally asked well you don't look like a leading man by someone so it was the first time a man mm-hmm. was was questioned about his looks i think ever
2: I think he looks like a leading man, but that's just me.
0: Yeah, I I don't. I, when I was kind of puzzled by the question, like I mean, who doesn't look like a leading man or or a leading woman? I mean, I
2: fear. mean, I think that's a question Jimmy Stewart came up against a lot too. Though he was physically different than Adam Driver in a lot of ways, but it's you know, going back to Werner's childhood for a second, if you don't look like a blonde, blue-eyed, strapping young man, if you're not Brad Pitt you know and I think that's um or the you know the tall dark and handsome opposite it's it's and but I think you know I hear what you're saying but I think that our country largely ignores that and there is the you know the sense of toxic masculinity that is out there too and I I am a feminist and I do support you know um intersectional feminism but I think we can't fully ignore toxic masculinity
0: Um. no so yeah so i would i highly recommend getting naked feminism breaking the culture of female modesty so i'm going to couple that with uh mary gabriel's um uh biography of uh madonna uh a a rebel life and and i i think um i i I think i don't know what people's opinions of madonna are but I, i um It's interesting to be reminded that she was one of the first people to to come out uh, fighting about HIV and AIDS. And she was actually passing out pamphlets at her concerts then for safe sex before anyone else was doing that. I mean, I think the only other, you know, artist that I can think of, you know, was Diamanda Galas, who who did hers, her series on it. But I mean, she's not the same name as Madonna um and, and but, yeah
2: madonna's been very pro on a lot of things it's been impressive yeah well a, i mean she, somebody she, of her stature in society
0: you know keith Haring was one of her friends though i mean she lost she lost keith Haring. we all lost keith Haring, but she you know so uh, w- when you look at that and she, you look at that she her mother died young um and she was traumatized by that and her you know her father was this very religious person she's been the thorn of the side of the, the Catholic Church, you know, right-wing politics, uh, basically the patriarchal system and still and she's still someone who I believe coupled with Victoria Bateman's book is is a woman who's just trying to be authentically herself in a world that might not let her or doesn't want her to uh, to this day. um so it, it it's a great book and a great reminder. and plus, I mean she's just, uh, you know, a fabulous artist um, in her own right. That I often, because of, of pop music, I, I think people kind of look down on pop music to this day, um, to a degree, and, and um, uh, as something as a lesser form of art. And there's, there's, you know, she doesn't have a lesser form of art. She's, she's amazing. So that that's a great read. Um, and then I, I'm going to stick with with music. Now, um, I, then I, uh, the next book is Deliver Me from Nowhere by Warren Zanes, which is as much as of a Bruce Springsteen nut that I am. I mean, I'm I was aware of obviously I got in Nebraska when it came out. Um, I was aware of of his departure, and I was aware we were all aware. It's like he recorded this in a you know his bedroom on a four track recorder and put it on a cassette. I was had no concept and didn't even think of because I was so young when it came out of the business aspect of it. He finally had his first, you know, you know, number one album with the river. So he goes to Columbia. Here's my follow up. It's called Nebraska. My picture's not on the cover of it. And the the, the title song is about a serial killer. I recorded <laughs> it on a four track and it was only put on a cassette. Here you go. Here's our video uh, of Atlantic City. It's just a black and white movie driving around grainy footage of Atlantic City. Um what? <laughs> um and they took it. Um you know, thank God. And, and and I Warren Zanes makes the point and I think this is such a, a, a an important point that if he just went from the river to born in the USA, he would not be the Bruce Springsteen he is today. He would not be considered an artist.
2: He'd be a one-track um, pop yeah, pony. Yeah. He yeah.
0: he he would have, uh, Nebraska. He suddenly was an artist and considered that way, and people started re- looking at his songwriting skills in a different way. And I really had no idea about this, but but Warren Zanes, who was in the Del Fuegos, said that he inspired Bruce the indie scene with this because. They thought, well, wow, Bruce Springsteen can do this on a four track and put it on a cassette. So can we. Um, <laughs> and that that started the whole, he was a, one of the biggest pieces to the, the do-it-yourself movement of indie rock was this record. And again, I had no idea about any of that, um, nor did I have any idea about the, tr- I mean, kind of obvious saying this, but the truly depressive state Bruce Springsteen was in when he recorded this. Maybe the songs were a clue? I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe they should have been, but it, it it's it's a it's a fantastic read. Uh, Warren Zanes is a really good writer. I was um uh, and, and it really does show you know an artist again finding their authentic voice. Cuz I knew I know that even with, you know, Born to Run, they were trying to do the Phil Spector sound. I mean, he he was doing all of this other stuff and then I think this is where he he he! Literally became Bruce Springsteen. A uh, great book, and for my final book, um, it's Jeff Tweedy's new book, World Within a Song, and uh, a lot of Dylan just did one last year too. In people coming out with books and just listing songs and writing something about it. Uh, Jeff Tweedy's part, and I'm going to take this down from my board so I can actually see it because this is, this is such a good read. Uh, this is what he wrote about Dancing Queen. Uh, the Abba song. he writes in a way, I blame the time and place where I grew up. the mid70s when Dancing Queen came out was a time when there were very strict lines being drawn between cultural camps. as a kid who liked punk rock, this tune was situated deep in enemy territory at the intersection of pop and disco um, and he goes on to talk about how um, you, you know every the, the whole disco sucks movement, that 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 came out um and i think you could add on to that later when rap is crap that that whole movement came out um it it was it's basically just attacking black music yeah but add on top of the disco that it's also gay music because it was played at all the gay clubs and uh jeff Tweedy admits that you know one day he's like walking through the supermarket and dancing queen comes on and he literally stops and thinks Oh, my God, this is a brilliant song. Um, <laughs> he had that moment of, well, what the hell? This is fantastic. Um, and, and, and I think that that's, that that's such an important message uh, because we still have these lines drawn. You know, if you like this, you can't like that. And, and these camps, and I don't, un- I don't understand camps when it comes to art like that. And the funny thing is, and, and this, this is literally a Shauna story, when we were, um, you know, as this is brought to us by the Shauna Foundation, um, we were literally we were discussing music one day and we were discussing the camps. And at this point, I think I was trying to not as, as good as what how Jeff Tweedy just did it, um, trying to say, you know, it's all, in, you know, there shouldn't be. And she she literally she said, music is just one word. There should be zero camps. She didn't use the word camps, but it, you shouldn't pick one or the other. It's if it's if it's music and you like it, then then, then that's fine. It doesn't matter. But she was, you know, she certainly loved rap and hip hop. But at the same time, you know, when, as a freshman, she was bringing a Hanson lunchbox to school. A freshman in high school making a statement. Um, so uh, it, it's it, it's a fun book. It's a great book, and he he also mentioned songs that he hates because it's also important to say yeah it's it's okay to say you don't like something too even even though you understand it's all subjective so um those are my books great great uh fun reads yeah i have to ask what's one that he hates i think pretty much anything by um bon jovi because he tries too hard to be big with everything you know And, and um so yeah he kind of slams bon jovi um He slams people who uh, shout out Free Bird at concerts. Um, (laughs) And and I thought, do people still do that? Like, is that still a thing? At Um, the concerts
2: I go to, it's usually ironic, but.
0: Yeah, well, well, I don't know if you ever heard the story that somebody shouted that, you know, within the last 10 years at a Dylan concert. And then he did it. He played Freebird. Oh, really? I was like, what? <laughs> what? Um, he so... was like, a
2: sign. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but that's... but, And this is where Je- Jeff Tweedy said, it, if you really want to you know, hear Freebird, go listen to the original. It's great. And that's where I say, I hate that song, Jeff. So I'm not going <laughs> yeah, to. I'm not, I'm not a fan. Perfect segue. Ending on musical books. To go to Andrea with your music picks for... For, for 2023. Your list for best songs of 2023
2: my best songs of 2023 um so i don't i'm really bad at watching movies the year that they come out so when i started making this list i had a list of two movies and eventually i gave up Because I would have had to watch a whole lot of movies to feel like I made the right amount of effort (laughs) (laughs) Um, to make a movie list. But I do listen to music in the year it comes out, I realized. So I was way more comfortable making this list. And it's not in any particular order. So I'm going to start with uh, my first song that I picked. And I am apologies to anybody listening to this who speaks this language. Um, I am probably going to butcher it. Um, So it's by it's. By Elisa P, who is a Inuk singer, songwriter, activist, and filmmaker from Canada, um, currently living in Montreal. Um, the song is Iusamagi Yunetak, which is how she pronounces it in her video that talks about it. And what that is, is a cover of Metallica's Unforgiven in Inuktitut, her, I guess I would say tribal language. And it's off her album, Inututut, which is all covers of songs in that language, which is fascinating. I love this album. It's very low key, very mellow. Um, It's amazing. This song in particular, though, really touches me because if you know the lyrics to Metallica's Unforgiven, it's about sort of being beaten down by society and becoming bitter and trying to survive in spite of that Not. Because of that, and coming from somebody who is an Indigenous person in Canada, which has had so many issues over the years, um, so many issues always, let's be honest, with their Indigenous population since the English and French came over. It's an amazing cover. It's what starts out her album. It's very mellow. It's not what you expect from a Metallica cover at all, but it's it's gorgeous. And being aware of the history that she's coming from and the history of this song, combining them into, into new meaning is truly fascinating. And it's just a gorgeous piece. And there's something really interesting listening to um, the whole album too, which is tons of songs that you'll recognize. Heart of Glass is on there. There's um, Would You Like It Darker? Um, all these songs that she felt related to her childhood as an indigenous person in Canada translated into a Inipot- And it is very, it's very meditative. I want to say because of that, but this song, this song is truly opens up the album and it, and it truly is remarkable in terms of even without my understanding, the language, the imagery and thought that it, it conjures for me. Um, and I hope for you. so next up is something much poppier that you've probably all heard of which is what i was made for by billy eilish and that's off the Barbie soundtrack, which was one of the movies on my very abbreviated list of movies from 2023. This song in particular occurs in what to me was the pivotal point of the movie. There's a few pivotal points in that movie, but this was the big one for me. And it's it's just so incredibly existential, which is sort of been Eilish's theme for the past. I want to say two years since her last album came out in 2021 happier than ever. She's taught, she's been talking a lot about how, you know, you, you start doing something and you start succeeding at it. And then you're like, Oh, I, I don't, this isn't what I expected it to be. And this isn't what I want. And it makes us realize that she started her career so, so young in this area. And she, she, you know, I know for me at least. You know, you change your mind three times over by the time you're 30. So where's she going to be? You know, and I think that's really compelling coming from her as she's experiencing it in a way that a lot of young performers don't have the opportunity to.
1: Yeah, Barbie ended up fall- falling just outside of the top five. I was going to present today. That's fair. But...
2: I'll live with but... it. I got my mention in there for it. Uh, no, no, yeah, but I, I just,
1: <laughs> I it was, it was actually. One of the most unforgettable experiences I've had at a movie theater. Uh, oh, really?
2: Interesting. Yeah,
1: just, I, I saw it in a packed theater. I would say uh, the audience was 80% female. Mm-hmm. And after American Ferrara gave her speech, her monologue, the theater mm-hmm. erupted in cheers. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen that happen before. And I also, in that no- moment, really felt what it must feel like to be in the minority.
2: Mm hmm. that's a good point i so i have a different uh experience which is that i put off seeing it because i was convinced i was gonna hate it the last quote super feminist movie that everybody loved that came out was the first wonder woman movie it upset me at the time that that's what people thought feminism should look like when i finally watched it i was so taken with it immediately i made my mother watch it and she thinks i was so taken with it because it is so existential to being a woman and being a human and i as we know as i've talked about before existentialism is exactly my cup of tea so i think that might be why i related to it so intensely but regardless if you haven't if you haven't seen the movie see it because it is not at all what you expect and right when you start thinking you figured it out it changes again And I think it goes through like, I don't know, like five different genres in the course of like, you know, it's runtime. But Billie Eilish's song, from what I consider the pivotal moment in that movie, is an amazing song. And the music video is equally incredibly simple, but incredibly moving because of that. And then for my third song i have and who they uh were introduced to me by stacy buchanan a good friend of skip and mine and this song is off their album the king and this song is incredible um this whole album is incredible again and and jimily's first album was give or taker I believe this is technically their third album, but it's the second that I've heard, if I'm gonna be honest. This album, Emily has come out as saying that this is inspired by George Floyd and all of the hard work that, honestly, our country still needs to do, but that was being jump-started around that era. Um, Never fully got off the ground, in my opinion, but still trying to do this work this album has so many moving tracks um animal was the one i related to the most because it talks about a theme that i i think about a lot in my current work which is you know i'm not i'm not black but i'm latino and it's one of the um phrases throughout it is basically intimates if you're going to treat me like an animal you'll see an animal That's not the lyric, but that's essentially what it is. It's like, if you want to treat me like that, okay, but then I'm going to become an animal. And then you have to deal with that. You know, I think around, especially around George Floyd and that era, I understand that sentiment immensely in the same way that I felt that sentiment around the time that they began, they began, it has not finished, detaining children in cages at the border of Mexico, families, but especially children. In, in group cages and, and you feel that you feel that incredible hopelessness and helplessness and you do that rage builds in you to an extent where you say, okay, if this is what you want to do. Okay. But you're not going to like what happens. And I I so deeply admire and Jim Lee's work on this album. It is, you know, I know I can't fully relate as somebody who is white appearing but it's it's this this whole album is just remarkable and um it's incredibly they they their work is classified technically as folk but this album is incredibly dark and amazing and i can't recommend it enough especially this song Take a- Next for me is another existential song. Shocking again um, for me.
0: Well, this is, you know, based off Camus. So it is. It is. is, this is the place. This is the place for it. This is
2: the place for me to do it. Um, Up next is Angie McMahon. um, Angie McMahon's song, uh, Divine Fault Line, which she wrote with Emma Louise. Um, Emma Louise is an Australian singer who I'd never heard of before finding out that she co-wrote this song by Angie McMahon. Angie McMahon's from Melbourne, though they, I'm unfortunately going to forget, they do identify it as in the, in the correct indigenous term, the area that they live in, which I appreciate she, she identifies that. Um, This is off her album, Light, Dark, Light Again, which is, you can really feel Angie was going through some things when she wrote this album, man. <laughs> um, a lot of anxiety. It's very apparent. There were there are a lot of really good songs off this album for me between it was hard to it was hard to choose between like Divine Fault Line and I believe it's called You're Okay. I have to look it up because it's the song right before Divine, but Letting Go. Divine Fault Line and Letting Go are back to back and both are. It's like just the emotional core of the album to me divine Faultline is is gorgeous in terms of lyricism and musicality in it and i think i mean i've always loved angie angie's sort of ability to weave a song as a story and this one is is not as much a story as it as it feels like a poem like a loose association poem describing a feeling. And it, it really spoke to me as somebody who's come out of really emotionally, mentally difficult situations. There's a line, I think it's time to sweep the eggshells clean. And I was like, Oh, I feel that (laughs) there's a lot of really incredible lines um, in this song specifically. And the, the way that she uses sort of there's a lot of over singing in this song of two different tunes and melodies and it and it just weaves together really beautifully. And while it's while it's a gorgeous song in itself, in the lyrics, it's also this one, the musicality is really, really impresses me. to my last one is What They Call Us by Fever Ray and I was really excited that Fever Ray is obviously a stage name for Karen, I'm gonna probably butcher it a little but I'm gonna guess Dreyer it's a Swedish artist and they they were introduced to me by somebody as the original Lady Gaga and I definitely think there's been a lot of places where Lady Gaga has pulled her early stage presence from Karen Dreyer there's a lot of makeup involved. A lot of, I believe there was a meat mask at one point, for for them pre Lady Gaga. Their current album released, they look like a sickly version of Riff Raff from Rocky Horror on the cover, with lots of like green funky makeup, and like the long stringy blonde hair, bald on top. And that's not what they look like usually, but they look like something different every time I see them. So who's to say? Maybe. <laughs> But this, this this whole album, I was really excited. This is their third album. They um, released two before this. They used to be in a band with their brother, Olof, called The Knife, which was also amazing The thing about Fever Ray that's amazing is they either sing very low in their chest or very high, similar to PJ Harvey. But oftentimes it's in the same song where PJ tends to do whole albums tonally one way or the other. Fever Ray's stuff is just amazing. And if you haven't heard it before, I highly recommend it. Sometimes it's a little dancey. Sometimes it's dark. Sometimes it's just weirdly techno-y. And it's always very, you read the lyrics and you're like, I don't know what, I don't know what this means. I don't know what's happening. But there's definitely a mood that permeates. And that's true for what they call us, where there's something, there's a lot of themes on this, of the difficulties of being queer. And I feel like to me, I related most with what they call us Um, as somebody who's light queer. I, I feel like this was this was very interesting in terms of feeling how society treats you and how you how you need to be safe and protect yourself. And I think that's really, really compelling. And it's an amazing sounding song as well as with everything that Fever Ray does.
1: First, I'd like to say that I'm sorry. I've done all the tricks that I can. Cinnamon, button in the oven.
2: There's a fire in my hand.
0: So... Hey, hey, Andrew, this is a question because I don't know how people do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Where did you find these songs? Because I don't know where to find good new music these days. Oh,
2: um, so I keep I, I do um, I use Spotify very heavily. And I know it's not great for the artists, so oftentimes I try to give money to them where I can, going to shows, buying merch, etc. With Spotify, what I do is I set up my favorite artists so I get alerts when they have new music out. So, you know, Fever Ray, Angie McMahon, Billie Eilish are all on that. And Jim Lee, Friends, Stacey, um, my friend Stacy used to run Front Row Boston for WGBH. Yeah. Um, so that's where I learned about Anne Jim Lee the first time and heard from Stacy that they had a new album out. So got that. And then also Spotify has a lot of best of year lists, new hits, but you can look up like best of Indie. I keep an eye on like Pitchforks listing, which is how I find some of the new songs. I follow people on Instagram. So that's how I found out about Cobra from Megan the Stallion. You know, so, so usually very careful tracking through Spotify, obsessive list making, keeping an eye on things. I try to listen to like new music if I have a drive ahead of me. And uh, it usually involves a very liberal use of the skip button, but not the not the skip shea button but the skip song button uh, terrifying. We, yes yeah. my, my,
0: mine is to be used very conservatively.
2: <laughs> you hit the skip shea button and it just starts telling you why the song isn't good in that particular <laughs> sense or why it is good if it's if it's you know not freebird um and we uh yeah i I I say we, because I usually have my cat in the car and we judge it. If she starts like screaming at the song, I have to skip it anyway. So
0: <laughs> is, she, is she screaming or singing along? That's the question. Oh,
2: that's a good question. That's a good question. Maybe, maybe she's just bored with my musical taste and I'm discovering something today here and now <laughs> about her musical taste.
0: Um, yeah. Cause I, I struggle with, with finding not only new music, but new, interesting music. Yeah. Um, that, that's always that. the 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 dilemma i mean because i i it's easy for me to find new pop music mm. um and, and i do um uh, only to if for no other reason than to keep up with my grandchildren um
2: i have to say it's 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 taken me a long time and i want to say it was kind of Billie eilish who got me back into listening to pop music um i assumed i wouldn't like her first album um and then I heard bad guy and I was like, Oh, this is catchy. Um, and then when <laughs> happier than ever came out, I was like, let's give it a listen. And I was like, this is an amazing album for yeah. her, What's essentially a pop album. Um, and it's because of that. Like I gave um, Miley Cyrus's single flowers a chance. And I actually really love that song too.
1: That's a great song.
2: Um, yeah. And, you know, I think. I think especially with younger artists, which most of our pop artists today are um, remembering that they, they will grow and change is a big part of that and continuing to give them chances to do. So, Um, you know, I've never listened to Miley Cyrus before um, and I really loved that song. My line, I still, I still have a line at Taylor Swift. I will not listen to Taylor Swift, but I hate her voice, which is the problem there. Well, the, the, the,
0: I have grandkids, but um i and i'm not going to apologize for that my taylor swift story here so i, I was mm-hmm. thinking wow you know i'm really ignorant i don't know anything by taylor swift um you know and and i i, I am i'm one of those people who really you know hates I, I remember um you know some tv show what's what's the one with winter is coming game of, oh, thrones. Uh, game of thrones game of thrones like I, and when they were doing the last season, you know, so many people on social media, were, oh, I've never seen an episode of that. And I thought, oh, my God, you're you're bragging about cultural illiteracy. Why why <laughs> are you doing that? You look like an idiot. Um, so then I thought, oh, my God, I don't want to be culturally illiterate, but illiterate about uh, Taylor Swift. I, I have to start listening. And I hadn't started listening yet. And I heard this song on the radio and it was anti-hero. And I'm like, well, this is good. Who's this? And then I, you know, Shazam it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm listening to Taylor Swift right now, and I actually really like this song. Um, so I, I, I have listened to some of the others, and uh, she's she's a fine pop artist. Um, and, and and I'm I'm a such a sucker for pop music. It, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I love a good pop song. I absolutely love yeah. a good pop song. I mean, I, I was with yeah. Miley Cyrus with Wrecking Ball. I think.
2: Yeah, um, I that, mean, that, Wrecking Ball was fun.
0: That that's when I stopped seeing her as um yeah you know, Hannah Montana Hannah Montana yeah
2: <laughs> if uh, only it's... if only Nick Cave could stop seeing her as Hannah Montana I would love it because he keeps putting that name in every song that he writes the last like ten years and I'm like babe she's not that anymore
0: <laughs> <laughs> no she's she's actually I I think become the anti anti-hero but anti-Hannah Montana and and and, uh, she's I found her to be an incredible artist yeah um so I I I love what she's just again you keep on like you said keep an eye on them and then see where they go
1: now we get to movies okay the moment we've all been waiting for so
0: oh Uh, I'm actually out of time
1: (laughs) I'm actually very proud of my list um Letterboxd if you're on Letterboxd has a feature where you can look up all the movies that came out this year. So I was reminded of one or two that I had forgotten came out this year that I was able to add to the list, but I think it's a, I think it's a pretty diverse list and it starts with a movie called bottoms uh, hilarious movie. Uh, it's a filmmaker by the name of uh, Emma Seligman. She also did a movie called Shiva baby, which is, which is terrific. Uh, she wrote this with her star, uh, Rachel Senat. It's about two uh, virginal lesbian best friends who decide to start a fight club for women as a way to get cheerleaders to have sex with them. Uh, that premise uh, the premise uh, makes it sound like it's your typical male focused teen comedy and in a way it is, but it's also uh, absurd and hilarious. And it pulls off something that a lot, I see a lot of filmmakers try uh does not always go well for them and that is that the the main character uh Rachel Sennett's character is arguably irredeemable uh and i see a lot of people who uh low budget filmmakers who make comedies who have uh, an irredeemable character in the lead and it's just insufferable uh you know you don't want to spend uh 5 minutes with them let alone a whole movie uh this this movie pulls it off Um, uh, and, uh, you know, like, like most movies, she, she learns a little something at the end, but not really all that much. Uh, but, uh, she's hilarious throughout. Um, Skip, I, I don't want to explain why, but I, I believe that you will love this movie, particularly the way it ends. Um, just, it dares to go places and still be dares to go dark places while still feeling light and funny um, and uh, I, this this filmmaker Emma Slegman uh, is one to watch she had a horrible try- time trying to pitch this movie uh, she pitched it to all the major studios who wouldn't let her get past the word lesbian uh, finally got released by Orion and um, I, I think it's the funniest movie of the year also want to mention uh, an up-and-coming actor who may be one of the funniest improv comedians we have right now, and that is Marshawn Lynch, who's in this movie. He plays he plays a teacher. I've seen him uh, on uh, an improv comedy show on Netflix called Murderville. He did an episode of that uh, where he was hilarious. And you wonder, was it a one-off? But no, he is fantastic in this movie every he steals every scene he's in it's 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 awesome so bottoms is my first recommendation
0: so yeah i i can't imagine no one wanting to hear the pitch like uh, women starting a fight club to have sex with cheerleaders i'm still trying to <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck on the logic of that
1: um <laughs> uh the the movie doesn't shy away from the fact that it doesn't really make much sense
0: <laughs> okay good because i was like what?
1: The the two I'm, main I'm characters to come up with the idea are are not portrayed as as geniuses. They're <laughs> they're doing what they're what they can. All right, to to switch gears completely, my second movie. I think I mentioned on the horror podcast that I'm not as into horror films as the two of you are. So it's rare that one would make my my best of list. But a film came out this year called When Evil Lurks. It's a Spanish-American co-production. It's, a, it's about a, a, a very small, uh, I'm sorry, Argentinian-American uh, co-production. It's a very small Argentinian town. Two brothers are walking in the woods. They come across a decapitated body. While investigating it, they go to their neighbor's cabin and find that the son in the neighbor's cabin has been infected by a demon who's about to give birth. The body they found in the woods was a body of what they called a cleaner, essentially like an exorcist who was coming to get rid of, of, of this demon. From there on, these two brothers and the people around them make every mistake imaginable in trying to get rid of this demon. They don't listen to advice. This demon can pop and possess from person to person. It is an extremely... Leak movie but very viscerally engaging one thing i'll tell you about this movie is it has the scariest sheep you'll ever see uh that sheep is responsible for one of the most brutal kills i've i've ever seen in a horror film so i highly recommend when evil lurks
2: i was gonna say you've clearly never been to iceland if you've never seen a scary <laughs> sheep before
1: don't don't be around a sheep with an axe. That's what I'll tell you about this movie, and I won't spoil it any further than that. But uh, great great film.
0: I'm, I'm I'm the images in my head are more comical than than scary. I'm
1: gonna say um, this is another one where I feel Skip you would love this movie. Um, I think I think you should check it out. I'm I'm sure I will. I know I will before I see Martin's new movie. It, it is a lot shorter, I, maybe you. maybe half the length. Yeah, okay, perfect. My list contains a couple of movies that if you had told me a year ago, they'd be on my end of the year list. I would have laughed at you. That's the case with this one that came out earlier this year. And it's Dungeons and Dragons, Honor's Honor Among Thieves. I know it's a Dungeons and Dragons movie, but it's done right it It harkened back to the back to the days of really light action adventure films. It's hilarious. It helps if you know about Dungeons and Dragons. There's a particularly great series of of jokes regarding the lawful good character in the in the film, but you don't have to. All in all, it just feels like a really super light, funny adventure story i i enjoyed every minute of it i wasn't expecting it expecting it to be that good
2: i enjoyed it i thought it was fun it was not on my top five list but i thought it was a really really fun movie
1: yeah, yeah. that's that's just it it's just fun it's well that's i yeah
2: as
0: it's- as our lists have been going so far today well, a little fun might not
2: hurt <laughs> <laughs> i will say um what it reminds me of is that first Avengers movie written by Joss Whedon, um, but in a fantasy setting. I know Joss Whedon is a thumbs down, but that first Avengers movie was fun. We won't talk about feminist representation or on-set <laughs> treatment or a whole number of things. But it was a fun movie if you just looked at it for fun. And this reminded me a lot of of that same vibe when you watch the Dungeons & Dragons movie just set in a fantasy
1: realm. That's pretty cool that uh, I, 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 that's on the list. Part of the reason it's on the list is because Letterbox reminded me it came out in 2023. I'd forgotten that it had. And also, I was trying to avoid, you know, everybody's talked to death about Barbie and Oppenheimer. When I saw it, that this came out in 2023, I thought, I'd rather talk about this one. So the next one, this in a lot of ways was not a good year for superhero movies. This seemed to be the year that audiences started to tire of them a little bit. There were a lot of box office bombs. Uh, I'm also not a big superhero film guy, but Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was awesome. This is a movie, you could pause it at any point, take the picture on the screen, and put it up in your house as a work of art. Every frame is just beautifully done. It's got a great story, great continuation of the first the first story, the characters you really engage with. For me, the only downside is I, I don't feel great about movies that end with the setup for the sequel, but uh, instead of having a real ending. But other than that minor quibble, I think it's a work of art from start to finish. Totally agree.
0: This is only because of my grandson that <laughs> I saw it, because <laughs> um, he's a freak about it. And I, I will like,
2: say this this latest Spider-Man cycle this animated pseudo animated i think in the case of across the spider-verse has been like really popular in terms of topic that they've been covering sort of as an identity spider-man identity Mm -hmm. um and every animator i know which is to say one um the animator (laughs) i know loves the animation and all of these is just like totally blown away by
1: it it is amazing Yeah, i agree i mean it's just gorgeous and it changes too depending on what character they're focusing on it's it's yeah. really amazing which is amazing. Such,
2: a, such a brilliant conceit my friend who animates showed me a clip from i don't know what verse he's from but it's cockney spider-man and it's like sort of hand-drawn grungy animation and it's in like what's otherwise like this beautiful animation cell we're used to today but it's like takes a very you know like almost windsor mckay look and it's very very cool
1: all right, uh, my last pick uh, is another one that never would have guessed that it would be on my list, let alone my my favorite movie of the year. Um, Skip and I have talked about this. We've we're both big Godzilla freaks. Yep, I've seen most of the movies. Most of the time, I'm watching them ironically to see a man in a Rubber suit, walk around stomping miniature sets, um, stories that are meaningless and are just there to glue the, the monster destruction scenes together. But I, I this just year wanna... just got... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I just
2: wanted to jump in and say I'm also a Godzilla freak. I don't want to oh, be okay. left oh, out. Quick.
1: All right, okay. great. I
2: love right. Godzilla <laughs> and Gigan and Hedora and Ghidorah and uh-huh. Mothra,
1: et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rodan, too. It's an awesome movie. But Godzilla Minus One, I think, I honestly feel it is the best Godzilla movie and my favorite movie I've seen so far this year. This is a Godzilla movie that is the really the Godzilla scene seem to be just there to glue together the human story which is which is amazing, but that's not to take anything away from the Godzilla scenes. This is a movie that was filmed for uh, about $15 million, yeah. uh, which is extremely low budget, but looks amazing. The Godzilla in this movie is the most terrifying Godzilla I've seen. You really feel the scale of of Godzilla in this movie, and the destruction... There's a scene of the destruction of Tokyo suburb as there is in nearly every Godzilla movie you've seen it dozens and dozens of times, this is the first time it was really terrifying. And you you felt what it must be, what it would be like to actually be in a city when that that is happening. Uh, just a terrifying force of nature. but the the human story is amazing. No spoilers, but i I cried twice. Which tell me a year ago that I would be crying at a Godzilla movie. I I would have I would have laughed at
2: you. Everybody uh, I know also... cried during that movie, so you're not alone yeah. on that one.
1: Did now have you seen it yet, Andrew?
2: I haven't seen that one, but okay. um it is it is it is in the it is in the plans um, coming forward because I've heard such good things about it.
0: I, I, I will admit I choked up, but uh, I it wasn't a full fledged cry because I didn't really want to do that in front of my grandson, who <laughs> is an uh, equal Godzilla freak. Um He believes that 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 and Shin Godzilla, he thinks are the two best Godzilla movies. Uh, then he'd go to the original. Uh,
1: so mm-hmm. that's his that's his ten year old take on Godzilla movies. Shin Godzilla was also great. Very different though. Very yeah. very different movie.
0: Oh no! Totally no. This this was there was a political point to this movie as well, mm-hmm. w- which uh, they don't even hide. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a huge statement on war in general. Yeah, I did not expect what I saw when we went I, you know i i picked up jason and we uh, you know on a school night let's go we wanted i wanted to make sure we saw it on opening week and I, I was we were both walked out blown away um mm-hmm. i mean at the end you know i wanted to stay in my seat for a moment and just try to think okay what what did i just see here mm-hmm. uh, i'm a big fan of the monsterverse all of the the, the latest round um i i loved you know, Skull Island with Kong as well. But uh, I, you know, after seeing this, I've been, you know, I literally went out and got, you know, Apple TV just so I can watch Monarch. And then I watched the next episode of Monarch and I'm like, eh, it's it's not what I just saw in the theater.
1: It's that good. I wanted to say about a Monarch too, I actually included that as a twofer, as a twofer just because it seems like there's a Godzilla renaissance going on all of a sudden. I think I, I hear what you're saying about watching Monarch after you see this movie. My wife and I happened to start it before we saw this movie. So we were really enjoying it. And you're right. It was, it's hard to go back to it now. Yeah. In fact, I was, before I saw this movie, I started to go through, I was going to watch all of the kaiju movies in order. I saw the first two Godzilla movies. I saw Rodan, Mothra. The next one on my list was King Kong versus Godzilla but then i saw Godzilla minus 1 in the theater and i was like i can't go back
0: to the campy Godzilla for a while <laughs> no it's hard this this has set a, a, a an incredibly high bar for 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 these movies and and you're right it was 15 million i mean how much was Godzilla destroys Fenway Park movie how much did that one maybe <laughs> yeah. 10 times that well you, not just
2: that but i mean i imagine that's about the budget that monarch probably has for something of that level i mean kurt russell's in it right
0: yeah so mm-hmm. Not enough.
2: not enough. well, Kurt <laughs> Russell's not in anything enough, in my opinion. So, how far I, I, into
0: it have you gotten, Skip? So I haven't far? seen. I haven't seen last night's episode.
1: Okay, um, we haven't so seen that one
0: either. I, I, I'm up. We're, we're up to. I mean, and, and it, it, I, to its credit, they are they are trying to create a, a more human story with this too. They're mm-hmm. re, they're really building character development. Yeah. Um. So uh, I I appreciate that in, in it. They're all young people because that's obviously the target audience Mm -hmm. which is why i need more kurt russell because (laughs) i am not young but godzilla minus one it's probably and patrick you said this to me earlier off it's probably how people responded to in japan to the very first godzilla movie Mm -hmm. not not the raymond burr godzilla movie yeah um (laughs) uh the 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 perry mason godzilla movie which I, i i will confess i i do like Simply because Raymond Burr is in it, but but it, it's so I, I would imagine it has that same feeling uh, of of the first one, and 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 to its credit, you know, there's a scene with, with, with ships without spoiling it set out at sea, waiting for this encounter, and they play the original Godzilla theme, mm-hmm. you know, and even my grandson sat up and looked at me like, oh, something's coming, this is it. So I mean, the fact that they still honored the original by having the song in it i thought was was an amazing touch as well it belongs there it belongs yeah. it, it, that is godzilla king of the monsters this one that's the name of the movie It's uh, not <laughs> destroys fenway park <laughs> it, it, it's
2: i prefer destroys fenway park. yeah well that that was that was the
0: most fun part of that one just being in fenway yeah you know who cares about, enough with San Francisco like really we, you know uh, we see that enough um, that's
2: easy that's easy for Godzilla to get to how does he get to Fenway yeah. Park it takes a minute for him you know yeah, it's a good point He needs to find the point. underwater wormholes I believe
0: yeah the the I forget what that's called the subterranean homesick blues tunnels <laughs> that's 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 part of the the Dylan Monsterverse.
2: It's just a giant Bob Dylan coming to sing folk ears. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I would
2: scream and flee depending on what era it was.
0: No slam on Dylan. I just saw him in Providence. so, And he ended the show when he played the harmonica. The place went nuts. Yeah. Um, because, wow, well, he's playing harmonica again.
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> My God. Um, I hate Dylan's harmonica playing. It's too high for me. Um, it hurts my ears.
0: I mean, I'm I'm Dylan's just one of those that I'll I'll keep going, you know, because now now it's the, uh, you know, should I see him because he might die shows, <laughs> yeah. Now every time he comes to, uh, mm-hmm. he might be dead. Maybe, maybe I better see him. Again. That was
2: my one of my honorable mentions that I didn't mention, but honorable mention in my heart was uh, the Peter Gabriel concert I saw this year that I was like, he might die. And yeah. then it turned out to be a seriously amazing
1: concert. Yeah, I guess I'll mention a song, too, as a way of plugging a future episode, oh. which is a, a yeah. song that, that, that came out this year. Uh, it's it's called Shook. It's by a British musician named Fife Dangerfield. I interviewed him and hopefully that podcast will be coming up soon. But he is kind of a hop rock musician singer songwriter he had a band called the guillemots that was briefly popular in in the uk he deals a lot with mental illness in his songs and this song shook and the video that accompanies it which i highly recommend is an eight minute mental breakdown in the form of a pop song i i just think it's fantastic we'll we'll include that in the show notes as well
0: Yes. Yes, we will. Yes, that will be coming up. I believe this is it for this month, folks. We'll be back in January. Next month, we start off with our episodes will be focused on women in the arts. And then in February, we'll be doing cults. And I believe that's when your interview will be playing. Patrick, okay. we'll have and our cult art, I think is a two-parter. So that might take us into March. So we'll be interviewing him and Luigi Cozy, who I will be interviewing in Italy. So that'll be for March. Next month, uh, our interview will, is Claire Jeffries, the wife of Garland Jeffries, but more importantly, the director of his documentary, Garland Jeffries: King of In Between, which just played doc, uh, New York City, the the Documentary Film Festival, won the Audience Award for Best Documentary. It was a wonderful film. I'm a huge Garland Jeffries fan. It's a very touching tribute to him. But she doesn't. She's even though she's married to him, it, it she's honest <laughs> about <laughs> about him as well she didn't want it to be any other way he has a new album out right now so i'm going to plug garland jeffrey's new album and that'll be in down here uh in the notes as well It's is going to be long fucking notes i can tell you that but we started with you know books so we assume you're all readers so read we need more readers i will go back to verna verna herzog on this <laughs> you know don't read just facts but read the truth of the matter find the truth in it <laughs> I mean he was so great about that he he mentions how you know you pick up a new york city phone book right and it's everyone's name and phone number and it's all the truth but you don't know you don't know that mary here doesn't sleep at night she has nightmares what is the, what is the truth there
2: <laughs> oh my god that's the most Werner herzog thing to say Werner's take on phone books yeah
0: <laughs> oh it sees <laughs> i i could just listen to him for days i mean I could. Um, that's why he narrates his own documentaries because we all could. So, have you uh, tried to get him for an interview? Oh yeah. I've tried <laughs> the, the people I've tried. Yes, I've tried so many people. <laughs> and they they uh, have all said, you know, you're you're too much of a journalist, skip, are really afraid of the hard pressing questions you might ask. Mm. So That much. is what
2: Werner said. I I can picture it now. I don't want
0: yeah. to mm. I'm I'm existentialist enough. I don't need to deal with Albert Camus and you. Today,
2: <laughs> so Albert Camus and you. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, we need to make a like a coffee mug that says that. Yeah. Um
2: <laughs> All right,
0: guys. Well, uh, happy holidays um, to everyone and to you guys as well. And we'll see everybody here in January. Bye. Hi, everyone.
1: May I have your attention, please? I think you all remember the bargain we made about staying all night.
0: You know what, Vincent? It is the holiday season, so I think I will stay and join you for a drink. But first, I have some things to attend to. I want to thank my co-hosts, Andrea Willanen and Patrick Bracken, for joining me on this journey so far, and, and the Shawna Foundation for supporting and creating the podcast. You'll notice in the show notes that we now have Spotify lists of the songs mentioned in the episode, books listed on Goodreads and the movies mentioned on Letterbox, and I'll be going back to previous episodes and creating lists for all of those as well as soon as Vincent's party ends. But first, I, I need to find my Camus and new coffee mug to join him. Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for joining us today, folks. Our opening and closing themes are by Shane Ivers, Creating Dangerously, a monthly podcast, is a production of the Shauna Ishay Memorial Foundation, Inc., a 501c3 charitable organization. All views and opinions expressed in Creating Dangerously are not necessarily those of the Shauna Foundation and its affiliates. Not that we have any. They are only the opinions of the hosts and the guests. See you next month, and remember, keep creating dangerously.